We're recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. I'm Thomas Young. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. So to give everyone some background perspective, Jose and I met back in 2014 or so via the local homebrew community. And I think that people would be surprised to realize just how many people brew beer. In the interest of supporting all things local, people would like to get into this great hobby that will teach you a lot about creativity, science, and precision, and cleanliness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Do have a place to go. It's called Bruniverse, and it's on East 70th Street in Shreveport. And if you want to buy beer or you want to get supplies to make beer or wine, it should be your first stop. It's also the home base for the largest local homebrew club, Bayou Brewmasters. Yes, they are on Facebook. No, I am not. Hashtag Meg not on Facebook. So if you're listening from elsewhere, I hope that you also have an active homebrew community wherever you might be. And on to questions with Jose from 7th Tap. How would you describe the culture of the 7th Tap Brewing Project? Okay, so first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I would say the culture of the 7th Tap is a very uh, local culture, a very family style culture uh what we've built me sam and colby has been you know nothing short of just we've created a family basically not just between us between the people that follow us so it's a very uh rooted kind of a community uh kind of a culture and i mean it's just been fun so how did you go from being friends who brew together to deciding to go into business yeah i think that that just kind of it just happened as time progressed. I mean, we uh, we started homebrewing. I think in the back of all our minds, we always had that idea like, hey, we maybe one day this thing could be a thing. And uh, once we started brewing more, once we started competing more, we realized that it was more of an attainable goal, that we were actually producing a good product that needed to be put out there. And we are where we are today. So does your family think that you're crazy? Yes, and yes. Um, So I come from, my mom is very, you know, devout, Hispanic, Catholic, and so breaking it down to her that, hey, I'm going into this business of making beer was kind of a, you know, it was a big moment, I think. It was like a serious conversation that needed to be had, and just kind of explained to her, you know, we're not doing this to get drunk, it's a hobby, it's something that we enjoy, all these other things, but... You know, everybody's came on board. I think Samuel was kind of in the same situation as I am. Colby's family has been a lot more, you know, supportive from the get-go, but everybody's on board and uh, they're all for it. So the breweries that are in our area have really different origin stories. And Flying Heart was bootstrapped by three couples. Red River participated in the Entrepreneurial Accelerator Program with BRF, and they had a lot to do with Cohab where we're recording right now. So what is the seventh tap origin story? 
mean, the origin is just, you know, three guys brewing beer. I mean, we started brewing in our garages and, you know, built it to what it is today. I mean, just uh, continue to build our following, you know. I mean, just three guys that came together to brew some good beer. So being friends (laughs) and doing so much work together, how do you stay out of each other's way? Does each person have sort of a special thing they bring to the table? Everybody does kind of have their special thing. I think uh, Sam's kind of the brains behind the operation. I mean, he, he's he got the knowledge for all things brewing, the science behind it. Not that we all don't, but uh, he takes it to another level. I think Colby's more of the hands-on type guy, Mr. Fix-It-All, Mr. I'll-Make-It-Happen somehow, you know. Uh, and I do more of the uh, things like this, you know, the, the media aspect, the promotional stuff of what the 7th Tap is. But... Like I said, I mean, we are sort of like a family, and like a family, sometimes we have our disagreements, and I, I think we've learned over time to kind of, you know, let this slide or let that slide, and, you know, we pick our battles per se. And how did you guys even meet? Introduce us to your co-founders who are not sitting with us. Okay, so uh, s- me and Samuel uh, met in high school, actually. We were both from Houghton, so uh, played soccer together, best friends since then. We've been best friends for years. And we actually met Colby through the homebrew club. I knew who he was. We had some friends in common and uh, had no idea that he was into, you know, homebrewing and all this craft beer stuff. So through the club, we kind of developed a friendship and uh, let's said, hey, we should brew together sometime. And then that turned into what the seven tap is. So how long did you originally think that it would take to get the brewery open, and what is your current target date? So, honestly, we started homebrewing in 2014. We formed 7th Tap in 2015. I honestly thought around 2017, 2018 that we would have a brewery here in Shreveport. Uh, we got our building, actually, in 2017. So when, we, when that happened, I was like, well, you know, it's full steam ahead now. We're going to do this thing. And uh, through some forks and bumps along the road, that didn't happen. So now we're projecting, and this is a more accurate projection that it'll be sometime this year. We're hoping September, October-ish, maybe a little bit more, depending on what happens, but it will be this year. So I can consider it a delayed birthday present, maybe? Pretty because much, Because my yes, birthday's yes. in September? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so another group that has taken even a longer road to getting the brewery open is Cajun Fire, and that was founded in New Orleans East, and it's the first black-owned brewing company in the South. They started in 2011, and I think I first met John way back at 2013 WYES, International Beer Tasting in New Orleans, which is a great event, but they don't have it anymore. So they were first able to actually sell beer in Louisiana at the end of 2019, And they've had a lot of positive results in entrepreneurial events. Pitch competitions were one of their only routes for funding. So how did you think you were going to fund the business? And is that different than what is actually taking place? It is different from what is actually taking place. And I think uh, that that's probably what's been the biggest hurdle in the road. What's delayed things so much uh, was the funding. Originally, We wanted to go the investor route where, you know, we would have investors give us so much money. We would give up so much of the company, returns, whatever you have. Um, After researching more, 
we decided that maybe that's not what we wanted, you know, having 40 people in your ear at all times and, you know, all this stuff. So we went a different path and we started looking into SBA loans and that kind of a stuff for funding. So once we read more about that and did our research, we met with some banks, we were clear path like, okay, this is the route we're going. We're going to try to go SBA. And then something happened where a local bank here was like, hey, we're willing to work with y'all and make this thing happen for y'all. And so we ended up going that route. And uh, we still do have some investors, but they are investors that we feel like are on our side and their expertise are in areas that we lack, such as construction and that kind of stuff. So it's been perfect for us. And uh, we feel that at the end of the day, we got the best deal we could have got. I mean, that's not to say that there won't be financial hurdles and, you know, that we have to work our butts off to make a profit. But at the end of the day, I think the long wait was worth it. How would you advise people to build their team, particularly of investors? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a hard one because when, when money's at play, you know, things, things change a bit. So I would say start off with people you trust, people that have your best interest at heart, people that you know, uh, people that just want to see you succeed as opposed to people that are looking to make a dollar out of you know the product that you're producing when when you went to um the sba that route like how far down the road did you get with that we know i know sorry to interrupt i know that that is a like with epa and other people that that um do entrepreneurial programs locally like that's one of the things like epa doesn't do they won't do like lifestyle like they won't you know that's not what they're looking to do. They're looking for something else. And scalable is their primary word that I remember. Right. But there's still a lot of people that want to make, you know, barbecue or beer or, you know, a small business. And is SBA a place that, that did they, were they easy to work with? Was it hard to work with them? Um, I mean, I don't want to put you like at odds with them. I'm just saying, uh, we actually, so we never got too deep into the process. Okay. We had some preliminary meetings with some banks about, you know, going that route. So, and, but then you were able to find a bank, a bank that specifically was like, Hey, you don't need those guys. Like we'll work. Right. With you. Okay. Right, exactly. And so, that, that was just a process of going to the right. banks and meeting and yeah, showing them yeah. what you were trying to do. Right. Okay. And that was a, that was a blessing for sure. You know, that that came about and it's helped us. I mean, we're, like I said, uh, we ended up getting, I think the, the best deal for funding that we could have possibly got, but uh, we're, we're excited about it. I mean, the hard work's ahead, and I mean, we still have to make ends meet, but I think we're good on that end. Does it ever freak you out that uh, you are not sitting with a bunch of founders with an MBA? I mean, you studied radiology, yeah. and is Sam an engineer? He is IT. Okay, and Colby's a paramedic. Yes. And... Still a firefighter. Still a firefighter, and he does some welding on the side. So we got very. So you welded for his birthday recently, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Yeah. So we we come from very diverse backgrounds, but none of them are business 
business-centric or business-related. So there is the fear there, but I think that, you know, we have uh, a lot of people in our corner that are business-minded, people that are family, people that, you know, we can trust. I think we lean on them when it comes to some of those things. And some of those things, I mean, it's just been kind of fun to actually learn about it. I mean, I think Samuel gets a kick out of just punching numbers, honestly. I think he, he obsesses over it sometimes. I got to tell him, like, hey, just let it, let it, let it ride, you know. But uh, it's been good learning about business and how things work. And how things work changes sometimes, mm-hmm. as local breweries have shown us here. Right. Um, so the mist, the most common misconception about Seventh Tap, what do you think that might be? Uh, I think that we have it all together and that we're these uh, super expert brewers and that this thing is just going to come together and be the uh, the greatest thing ever, you know, because, well, it is going to be the greatest thing ever, but at the same time, there's a lot of learning that had to happen for us to get here and we're still learning every day you know i mean we're researching on different topics whether it's brewing whether it's business whether it's you know whatever it may be i mean it's a learning process each and every single day i mean we're and we know and we're prepared that there's going to be more hurdles you know once we do open there's going to be more things that we are going to have to learn i mean we've considered ourselves kind of jack of all trades when it comes to whatever we need to do you know what do you think are some of the reasons that so few women and minorities are involved in craft beer, specifically brewing? Yeah, so this one, uh, this is one's a, a big topic for me. I, I have noticed these trends. I've done research on these trends. It's something that I would definitely like to change and make happen is we need more diversity, diversity in our tap rooms and uh, not just in our tap rooms, in our breweries. I mean, um, I think... of the craft beer market is white and it has always been associated as kind of a a white thing, I guess. And um, I think that's because, you know, you walk into a brewery and you see my business partner, partner, Samuel, you know, white bearded guy and bros, bro culture, white dudes with beards. Right. And uh, I think there needs to be more education on what craft beer is and what it has to offer and what it can be what it can be i think people don't realize the true breadth of beer and that's one of the things that the homebrew community has really opened my eyes to is you don't like sweet you don't like bitter you don't like fruit well it doesn't really matter there's some kind of beer for you you may not have tried it yet exactly you know when people tell me they're not beer drinkers i always just you just haven't had the right beer exactly what i say uh, i said it yesterday to someone it's my job to make that happen and create that diversity i think and as a business owner i think it starts with me i have to you know it doesn't only start with bringing minorities into the tap rooms. It starts with me hiring minorities and people seeing that, you know, set, setting the example. Uh, I think we haven't seen much growth as far as uh, minorities and craft beer go. I know that with women, we have seen some growth, which is great. I know there's even like big cities like Portland where the majority of the craft beer drinkers are women. So. That's good to see, you know. Because the majority of the people are women. Right, right, right. But, you know, those trends don't relate to here, and that's what we need to make happen. To me, that means there's a tremendous growth opportunity here. And where there's a growth opportunity, there is money for you. Right. 
So largely craft brewing is seen as very collaborative, both in terms of internal and external partnerships like two breweries getting together to produce a beer and breweries partnering with charitable groups. How would you characterize the collaborative nature of the local beer scene? It is, if we're being honest, it's not there yet. And it can be there. I think it needs to be there. And I think it's something we need. I think we need that camaraderie amongst breweries. Uh, Obviously us, we have a great relationship with all three of them. I mean, we are, you know, every time we go to any of them, we talk to, you know, the owners, staff. I mean, we we try to uh, keep in good terms with all of them. And I think part of that is is because we came from the beer community, you know. As you said, I mean, we met in 2014 through the Homebrew Club. So to us, we're local beer drinkers, I mean, first, you know, and then craft brewers. So we kind of grew on that. So we come from this community and we want to see it flourish. So on that note, can you tell me about the side lot series at Great Raft for Craft Beer Week that you guys did in 2017? Was that your first big collaboration? Yes. So that was, uh, they brought us in to do a side lot series where we were, which we were super ecstatic about. I mean, we are big fans of Great Raft just in general. And uh, so for us to be able to do that was just a big thing. And I think at that time, it was like the fastest selling side lot series they had had. I think we tapped the keg in like less than an hour. And uh, just for us to go in there and be able to brew and then get to hang out with the guys and see, you know, what was going on inside the brewery on a day-to-day basis was just great to us. You know, we loved it. And explain to people who don't know what is the side lot series. So the side lot series is something that they do on a one-off basis. So I think... I'm not sure if it's every Wednesday or it's on Wednesday. I think I right now yeah. it might be. Yeah, yeah. So they just brew the a, a small batch of something, whether it's, uh, I think it's kept to their employees. You know, they let employees get a hold of their pilot system and, and brew what they need to do, which I think is great. And we we're fortunate enough that they brought us in and let us do that. And for people who are not super familiar with brewing, the pilot system is where you basically have your test batches. You don't have a huge quantity right. of beer that you're making, but it's the pilot, right. just like a pilot TV show. Mm-hmm. So what are your concerns about going into business with friends? Uh, there is concerns as far as, you know, you have to let your personalities kind of you know you got to figure all that out because we are at the end of the day we, we are friends we're like I said we're like family but we are three very different personalities and uh I think that helps to an extent but it can also get in the way sometimes and uh there is concerns but I think by this point I think we've figured out kind of how everybody what everybody's role is how everybody acts or reacts to certain things and I think we we've built you know, the right thing to be successful in the end. And you guys are definitely family. It's the friends uh, family, yeah. along with all the supporters right. like Stephen and Brian and just a slew of people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not just us three. It's, uh, it's these friends that we've built through this beer thing that we now consider family. I mean, we consider them part of the brewery just like us. And, you know, you know we'll even have some of them brewing beer up there hopefully we'll have some of them behind the bar it's a it's a nice unique thing we've been able to build 
What do you wish that you knew when you started out the process of turning a hobby into a business? Uh, mostly I wish I knew how long this process was going to take and how many baby steps there were. I mean, it, it has no doubt been a long road. I mean, we've, we've sacrificed a lot for this. I mean, whether it's financially, whether it's time, whether it's all this other stuff, you know, uh, so I wish I knew the time required in all aspects to, to make this thing happen. Because if you're not working, you are working your second job, which is the brewery. Right. And sometimes people don't understand that where it's like. They see your Instagram and they see that you guys are on vacation, but you're not on vacation. You are at a brewery trying to learn something. You are at the Craft Brewers Conference and everybody sees, ah, the guys are across the country and they're just partying. No, they're not partying. They are gathering info and building relationships with industry people that's the thing that people don't you know they see these instagram posts like oh these guys just travel around drink beer all day yeah well we were up till 3 a.m last night working on a business plan or going through stuff with our architect or meeting with attorneys or whatever the case may be you know and you might not have liked all of that beer that you drank no that's true too you know it's it's research and development i think and beer judging is certainly like that people think oh that's easy Mm -hmm. well if you don't like the style and you've got a bad example of it, it's hard and it sucks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So changing gears, I asked a friend what she might want to know. She's not really a beer person. I said, what might you want to know about a new brewery? What should I ask? And she said she would be interested in topics of sustainability. So as Great Raft gives their spent grain to Mahaffey Farms, do you have plans for your spent grain to be used in regenerative agriculture, other repurposing, what kind Uh, of green initiatives? We plan on doing the same thing. We have talked to some local farmers about when we do get going that we would like them to come get our spent grain from us. And that's something that we care about, we think it's important, and... I think that's uh, what I'm most impressed with by that. I think that seems to be very standard amongst the craft beer industry these days where, you know, they partner up with local farmers to get rid of that spent grain. And it's, I think it's a great thing because it's helping us because, I mean, we have nothing, you know, to do with it and it's also helping them. So it's it's kind of a win-win for both partnerships on that. So as I mentioned on my last interview with Chef Anthony of Fat Calf Brossery, when people think of trends, they frequently think of fashion. But food and beverage are highly trend-oriented. So what trend in beer are you tired of, and what do you think is perhaps the next big trend? Ooh, it seems like it's uh, continuously changing as far as trends in beer, and I, I guess that's just with everything in life, you know. Um I think, you know, for a while there, it was the hazy IPA. I think people were, you know, they had to have it, the hazy IPA. And I think now, you know, every brewery has a a hazy IPA, which is particularly my favorite style of beer, so I enjoy it. I know some beer purists out there might think that uh, the hazy IPA is not a a real thing. Um, Beer trends right now, there's a, a... there's a lot of uh, super fruited kettle sours that are out there, which you have no interest in that. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy them, just not in big, you know, not in big quantities. I can't sit there and drink a 16 ounce of, you know, this almost slushy like beer. 
or whatever. But I'm fine with it. I, I, I you know, I, I respect that. I think the one trend I think I'm kind of growing a little tired of is the, uh, it's what they call these, uh, there's these stouts that everybody's making and they call them pastry stouts. And it's just like, I'm all for stouts, but I think it's getting a little ridiculous sometimes when you got people throwing cake inside of the mash and just, you know, whatever sweet treats they could find inside of there. It's uh, it's getting a little gimmicky. You gimmicky know? is the right uh-huh. word, um, but sometimes gimmicks are fun and that's certainly not something that's going to be any brewery's flagship right, beer. exactly. But I did have one recently that was a blackberry, blueberry, cherry pie, mm-hmm. and it had a bunch of lactose uh-huh. and vanilla, yeah. and it was delicious. Right. So... I mean, yeah, and like I said, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I am all up for any style of beer. I will try any beer, and at the end of the day, I respect the brewing process behind anybody's beer. I've never been that guy to be trying to shame someone about this is what you should be drinking or you shouldn't be drinking that or whatever. I mean, if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. And uh, I'm just happy that you're drinking beer. To me, you have a bunch of different kinds of shoes. You've got flip-flops. You might have steel toe boots. You've got running shoes. You've got soccer cleats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But today, what am I doing? What is the occasion? What are the conditions? I need rain boots today and I need flip-flops tomorrow. Right. So that can be the same thing for beer and beer styles. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as stuff progresses, I mean, just even me personally, you know, like I was, there was a point when I was getting into craft beer where I wanted the, you know, I want the most barrel-aged thing you got. I want the highest ABV, you know, the most hopped-up thing yeah. you have. Give me and more yeah, IBUs, yeah, right. craziness. And now I've gotten to the point where, you know, I just enjoy a nice, crisp lager, you know, where if I am come home from work or something, I just want the lightest, most refreshing, crispy beer you got, you know, and that's... That's what That's Harvey just, would say. Yeah, I know, I know. And, uh, you know, when I first met him, I was like, I don't know about all this stuff, you know, and it's grown on me. It really has. Crispy boys. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. For people who don't know Harvey, he was uh, with Great Raft for quite some time and he's just wild. Yeah, he's something else. <laughs> That's for sure. So I like to visit breweries anytime I travel. And one time when I was back visiting family, I was really surprised by the ultimate goal of a brewery where my mom lives. And they had no aspirations to have distribution beyond their own state. Their big goal was they wanted to be the everyday beer for everyone in beach towns all along the Jersey Shore. And they'd be in every bar. So they wanted to be deep in that market, not broadly across numerous markets. So what is the vision for 7th Tap? And are you guys going to be canning, bottling, mix? Honestly, I think you, you, you just described our vision. I mean, that that's the road we're headed. We're not looking to be some crazy mass production brewery. That's not our goal. That's not. Uh, I think our, our goal at hand first is to... Uh, introduce our beer to Shreveport Bossier and keep it well stocked and make sure that people know that you know they have another brewery here and down that's you know making good product and uh, as far as distribution goes there will be distribution but we're keeping it strictly local to start off with and uh, distribution will be keg only so we will be on draft at uh, all your local spots and uh, 
we will be canning also, but to start off with, I think it'll be more small batch canning, so it'll be straight out of the tap room type thing. But uh, we will be distributing in kegs. But yeah, our goal is to keep Shreveport Bossier well stocked, and that's what we're focusing on right now. So what are the beers that have generated surprise responses or maybe a lack of response from the crowds at different events that you guys have been at? How much um, surprise have you gotten? Uh, We've been surprised many times, good and bad. I mean, from uh, people just absolutely loving a beer that, you know, we were kind of scared to serve or something <clears throat> to people just dumping something out, right, something out right in front of our face, you know, it's kind of part of it and um you got to develop a thick skin with those babies that you put out into the world so some of the beers i think like uh our most award-winning beer is uh coco loco which is a uh a porter brewed with mexican chocolate and uh mexican sugar cane a little heritage beer heritage beer exactly so um that one i think was the most surprising thing uh, when we first brewed that thing, I mean, a week into it, sample to sample and took a taste. And I mean, he almost threw up. <laughs> it's, it's just like something is, he was like, something is wrong in there. And I was like, are you sure? And I took a taste and it was just not good. But, you know, we were young in the brewing process. And as you know, fermentation takes time sometimes. And uh, we ended up winning a gold medal with that same beer, you know, and uh Everywhere we've gone that we've competed with that beer, it's placed. So Coco Loco has a lot of things going for it. First of all, it's delicious. Um, Second of all, it has a catchy name. Yes. So what importance and how much impact do you think that beer names have or can have? A lot. I think uh, sometimes these catchy names are what catches people. I think uh, you're seeing it a lot in the craft beer industry where... The name is sometimes what draws people to the beer where a lot of people are using, you know, uh, sort of a play on words where they switch a word with a, you know, uh, some type of song or some type of band or whatever the key is. Us, I mean, we just kind of come up with stuff as we go. A lot of our stuff is more of uh, inside jokes amongst ourselves or experiences that we've had that turn into a beer name or whatever the case may be. So sometimes the names don't matter when you've been awarded for Coco Loco. I'm sure a lot of that has been regular homebrew competitions, not just people's choice where, you know, you might put in a token and you see the brewer and you know the name and you've tried it and maybe the brewer told you a joke and you just voted for them because of that. Right. But... Homebrew competitions for people who are not aware are judged blind. So you have a sample, you have no idea who made it, you just know what style it's supposed to be, and you don't know the name, you are not given an ingredient list, you might think you can taste cinnamon, but it might not actually even be in there. So that's an even better illustration to people of just how good it is right exactly that it was it was uh all those are blindly judged so i think that felt good having these experts give you you know their opinion on it and but like you said i mean you know there's coco loco and then we also have a beer called foe who never necessarily you know placed or won these medals in this but 
uh, event we did, the last event we did, which was the Kegs and Corks, it won People's Choice and Brewer's Choice, you know, so it was, which we love that beer, we've always loved that beer, but, you know, it was nice to see it get some recognition, finally. And I think people might understand a little better why that's not won other awards if they knew about the style. Tell people right. about it. So Faux is a golden stout. It's a sneak attack. It's a sneak attack. So basically when you look at this beer, it is a, you know, clear, not, I mean, not necessarily clear, it's but it's, golden. it's a golden light looking beer. But when you taste it, I mean, you get all those flavors, the ABV of what would be a stout. So... It's rich kinda, roasty flavor mm-hmm. with yes. a crispy boy lager appearance right so it takes people back and uh it's very heavy heavy on the like coffee notes the vanilla notes so people enjoy it and uh it's been good to see that it is flourish. a wonderful surprise right. to yes. try that for the mm-hmm. first time and it shows people that you know that's the classic story don't judge a book by its cover right, exactly. do not judge a beer by its appearance you need to actually taste it and right. see what's going on yeah. in there so events have been very important for the development of different beers that you're making and development of the team and all of the following so Tell the story of the Jockey Box Light Show. And first Mm. explain to people what a Jockey Box is, because you need them for events. Right, so a Jockey Box is basically a self-serving dispensing system for uh, when you do events and types of things like that. So basically it's just an, an old cooler with a series of coils going through it, and you keep it iced and you run your beer through it to serve at different types of events. And so uh, when we went to do our first beer event, we set out to build a jockey box. And I mean, this thing ended up being bigger than it's a monster. We, we anticipated. <laughs> and uh, But it was actually like our first project together. So it was kind of fun. I mean, we still have pictures of it and we remember it. And uh, it was just a, a fun experience. We ended up putting uh, speakers on it. We have lights on it, the work. So it's been a it's kind of been synonymous of the uh, seventh tap when we go to events. So what was the first event? Was that something in 2014 or that 2015? Was, uh, I remember if you were a part of it. It was the uh, Iron Brewer in Baton oh, Rouge. Oh, in Baton Rouge. Yeah, I haven't been able to go to that. Right. So that was, so we weren't the seventh tap at that point. That's when I think we teamed up with like Kelly and some other home brewers. And we did, I think we did a some type of beer with... Uh, cane syrup or something oh that's right yeah the steens or yeah Yeah, steens cane syrup because the challenge for iron brewer which was at tin roof in baton rouge was to use like louisiana Mm -hmm. products so there were sweet potato beers cane syrup beers um was there anything at that one that was um like crawfish boil spices or was that I think someone did that which i've never had one of those that i thought was successful i'm willing to try but there was some stuff that didn't go together in there but, yeah, <laughs> to each their own. so i know that you were at brew in 2015 um labor of love at deep ellum in dallas iron brewer have you guys done iron brewer a couple of times yes so yeah. we went back the next year and did it as the seventh tap so how did the seventh tap name originate so the seventh tap name actually originated at iron brewer but we weren't the seventh tap at the at the moment so back to the jockey box when we built the jockey box of course drinking had been 
a part of the build process like anything <laughs> always is. And uh, when we went to drill our holes for our taps, which are supposed to be six taps, we drilled an extra hole, the seventh tap. So when we got to Baton Rouge and we were like, all right, at that point we decided, hey, there's this festival in Dallas that people had uh, been telling me about called Brew Riot. Brew okay. Riot. So we're like, let's do that together. And that's when me, Sam, and Colby decided that the three of us were going to kind of branch out on our, on our own and start brewing. So we're coming up with names, all these other names, and uh, we're throwing stuff out there. And finally we were like, it's just perfect. The seven taps got a good story behind it. Sounds good. Let's do it. You know, easy to spell. Easy. <laughs> People can pronounce it, yeah. understand what it is. So Brew Riot, did you first get some ribbons at that event? Yeah, so that was our first event we competed at, and we were uh, scared to death about that one because we were the only team from Louisiana. You're talking about streets full of Dallas homebrewers, uh, and these are people that, you know, they know their stuff. So we ended up winning, Coco Loco ended up winning, you know, number one. It took first place in the Porter category, and then it took second place in overall beer. So we were just ecstatic, you know, because we came to Dallas and we competed against all these people that are, you know, legit in the game. And not to mention, you know, we built these great relationships with people there because a lot of those people that we competed against are now craft breweries in Dallas. So we have some ties to them. We have good relationships with a lot of breweries in Dallas because we competed against them. So I think that was the event that kind of showed us is like, okay, we're doing something right here and, you know, we're on the right path. So Coco Loco winning for Porter category. Mm -hmm. And that made me think of another reason why Foe wouldn't necessarily get some awards. The judging process for homebrew is such that you have these strict style guidelines. And it's right. kind of like a dog show. Like here is this Basset Hound who is the Bassettiest Basset Hound you can possibly have. <laughs> and it's got ears that are a certain length and it's a certain color or pattern of colors. And beer has to be a certain range of colors for a specific style yeah. in those competitions, those BJCP competitions. Right. And that, that was one thing where... Uh we we never could figure out what category to, to put it in. in. Yeah, and I think that's what kind of where we evolved to where like we don't care about it categories. doesn't matter We're here to make good beer and we don't need awards. We need the feedback from people saying that this is a good quality tasting product and that's been our main focus since you know and it's probably why we we haven't we haven't competed as much as we used to in the last couple of years. It's like you have a training wheels phase. Then you have the regular bike phase. Right. You need the training wheels time for a little bit because you're gathering information and you're practicing and you're getting a lot of feedback from people. But at a certain point, it doesn't matter as much. Now, wouldn't you love to win some medal at Great American Beer Festival right, yeah, for having yeah. the fill-in-the-blank style? It's yeah. the, the gold medal. It's the best one here right. out of right. thousands of entries. Yeah, And, you know... That's true. I mean, I'm all for all of it. I I love just sometimes just making a traditional beer, like when we were talking earlier about these pastry stouts, where sometimes I enjoy just having a traditional stout with, you know, natural adjuncts, nothing crazy, nothing out of the ordinary. And I think, you know, there's place for both. There's place for all of it, you know, sometimes getting crazy, uh, 
will produce some of the best beer you've ever drank. That's very true. Mm-hmm. And accidents and just unknown things happening and how it changes. Right. Like the first try of Coco Loco was so bad that yeah. Sam wanted to throw up. Right. It reminds me of in the movie Bottle Shock where they're talking about wine. They've got the Chardonnay in California that is absolutely disgusting. And they think the entire bottling is just going to go down the drain. It's ruined. And they just waited. Yeah. And they tried it later, and it was fantastic. Right. And then in a blind tasting in France, the California wine beat the French wine, and that was bottle shock. That's how it goes. So some of the other events that you guys have done, you've been at Arclitex Craft Beer and Barbecue, mm-hmm. which is not happening this year. Right. Um, and it seems like there are a lot of events that are not happening, not related to... Um, any pandemic shenanigans that are currently going on, but just the organizers decided to take a hiatus, two different barbecue things that I know of this spring. But what was the feedback you got at that event at the state exhibit museum? That one was, I mean, the first year we did it was awesome. I mean, the, uh, we had lines. I mean, that line was ridiculous. I think we ended up having to take over the, person next the person next door didn't show up so we were like hey we need every ounce of space we can get and as you know that museum's a confined space so it created some chaos and it's round so people can walk in an endless circle yes so we couldn't figure out where lines were going people were just crowding and it's uh it's madness sometimes when you're trying to get these people their beer and but the feedback i mean was just great i mean like i've always said i think the feedback from people is more important than any award to us and that's what we do it for and last year at kegs and corks you guys had a huge showing yeah so at this point are you even going to be able to participate in kegs and corks no so you're too far gone yeah we're too far gone so uh but talking to them, I think, it, like we said earlier, it's important for us to keep that camaraderie, you know, to keep the, the craft, you know, uh, community going. So we will be in attendance, and I think we'll actually be taking part in some judging. So to clarify for people who don't know about that event, and know they haven't paid me to say anything, um, <laughs> the Kegs and Corks Craft Beer and Wine Festival is presented by Flying Heart Brewing. It's in Bossier City. It's coming up again May 9, which is a Saturday. Tickets are available at the aforementioned Brewniverse. No, they don't pay me either. And also on Eventbrite. There will be over 20 craft breweries, a dozen wineries, and three 400 gallons of homebrewed beer and the home brewers are going to be very excited to see who wins the competition plus live music local eats of course and we'll be there judging be there judging yeah, maybe i out. need to sneak in and judge <laughs> well i'm not going to sneak in but maybe i'll judge so you can only have one type of beer for the rest of your life what is it, Jose? Uh, I think it's probably an IPA, uh, a New England hazy IPA, something on the lighter ABV, maybe 6%. And I think that uh, I'd be happy with that. Although my love for lager is continuously growing, you know, but I think I'm going to stick with the 6% IPA for now. Do you find that your tastes have really changed in beer? Yes. Uh, I feel like it's evolved. You mean you, 
you're able to recognize as you grow into craft beer, you're able to recognize more flavors and you kind of come into your own as to, you know, what you like and what you dislike in beers. And it's also a fun experience. I think uh, at times when you first get into it, people are just drinking a drink because it's the love of finding something new and trying the next big thing and all this other stuff. But as you really kind of settle down into it, you start to kind of notice what's, what's for you, you know. How do you think you're going to feel when the doors of 7th Tap open? Ooh, I might cry. I don't know. We always joke about that, that we're just going to hold each other and cry. But who knows? It might happen. I know it's been a long road, you know. We've been doing this. So six total years we've been brewing. And, I mean, we've been trying to get this place open for three years. So I think it's going to be just seeing our family, friends, and all our supporters, you know, uh, come through those doors I think will be an awesome feeling. I'm really excited to go there eventually. I'm excited to have you there. Thanks, Jose. Thank you.